Chapter Ten of A Mind That Found Itself by Clifford Whittingham Beers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Daly. Ten. I am in a position not unlike that of a man whose obituary notice has appeared prematurely. Few have ever had a better opportunity than I to test the affection of their relatives and friends. That mine did their duty and did it willingly is naturally a constant source of satisfaction to me. Indeed, I believe that this unbroken record of devotion is one of the factors which eventually made it possible for me to take up again my duties in the social and business world with a comfortable feeling of continuity. I can indeed now view my past in as matter-of-fact a way as do those whose lives have been uniformly uneventful. As I have seen scores of patients neglected by their relatives, a neglect which they resent and often brood upon, my sense of gratitude is the livelier, and especially so because of the difficulty with which friendly intercourse with me was maintained during two of the three years I was ill. Relatives and friends frequently called to see me. True, these calls were trying for all concerned. I spoke to none, not even to my mother and father. For, though they all appeared about as they used to do, I was able to detect some slight difference in look or gesture or intonation of voice, and this was enough to confirm my belief that they were impersonators, engaged in a conspiracy, not merely to entrap me, but to incriminate those whom they impersonated. It is not strange, then, that I refused to say anything to them or permit them to come near me, to have kissed the woman who was my mother, but whom I believed to be a federal conspirator, would have been an act of betrayal. These interviews were much harder for my relatives and friends than for me, but even for me they were ordeals, and though I suffered less at these moments than my callers, my sum of suffering was greater, for I was constantly anticipating these unwelcome but eventually beneficial visitations. Suppose my relatives and friends had held aloof during this apparently hopeless period. What today would have been my feelings toward them? Let others answer. For over two years I considered all letters forgeries, yet the day came when I convinced myself of their genuineness and the genuineness of the love of those who sent them. Perhaps persons who have relatives among the more than a quarter of a million patients in institutions in this country today will find some comfort in this fact. To be on the safe and humane side, let every relative and friend of persons so afflicted remember the golden rule, which has never been suspended with respect to the insane. Go to see them. Treat them sanely. Write to them. Keep them informed about the home circle. Let not your devotion flag, nor accept any repulse. The consensus now was that my condition was unlikely ever to improve, and the question of my commitment to some institution where incurable cases could be cared for came up for decision. While it was being considered, my attendant kept assuring me that it would be unnecessary to commit me to an institution if I would but show some improvement so he repeatedly suggested that I go to New Haven and spend a day at home. At this time, it will be recalled, I was all but mute, 
So being unable to beguile me into speech, the attendant one morning laid out for my use a more fashionable shirt than I usually wore, telling me to put it on if I wished to make the visit. That day it took me an unusually long time to dress, but in the end I put on the designated garment. Thus did one part of my brain outwit another. I simply chose the less of two evils. The greater was to find myself again committed to an institution. Nothing else would have induced me to go to New Haven. I did not wish to go. To my best knowledge and belief, I had no home there. Nor did I have any relatives or friends who would greet me upon my return. How could they, if still free, even approach me while I was surrounded by detectives? Then, too, I had a lurking suspicion that my attendant's offer was made in the belief that I would not dare accept it. By taking him at his word, I knew that I should at least have an opportunity to test the truth of many of his statements regarding my old home. Life had become insupportable, and back of my consent to make this experimental visit was a willingness to beard the detectives in their own den, regardless of the consequences. With these and many other reflections, I started for the train. The events of the journey which followed are of no moment. We soon reached the New Haven station, and, as I had expected, no relative or friend was there to greet us. This apparent indifference seemed to support my suspicion that my attendant had not told me the truth. But I found little satisfaction in uncovering his deceit, for the more of a liar I proved him to be, the worse would be my plight. We walked to the front of the station and stood there for almost half an hour. The unfortunate but perfectly natural wording of a question caused a delay. "'Well, shall we go home?' my attendant said. "'How could I say yes? I had no home. I feel sure I should finally have said no had he continued to put the question in that form. Consciously or unconsciously, however, he altered it. "'Shall we go to 30 Trumbull Street?' That was what I had been waiting for. Certainly I would go to the house designated by that number. I had come to New Haven to see that house, and I had just a faint hope that its appearance and the appearance of its occupants might prove convincing. At home my visit came as a complete surprise. I could not believe that my relatives, if they were relatives, had not been informed of my presence in the city and their words and actions upon my arrival confirmed my suspicion and extinguished the faint hope that I had briefly cherished. My hosts were simply the same old persecutors with whom I had already had too much to do. Soon after my arrival dinner was served. I sat at my old place at the table and secretly admired the skill with which he who asked the blessing imitated the language and the well-remembered intonation of my father's voice. But alas for the family, I imagined my relatives banished and languishing in prison, and the old home confiscated by the government. End of chapter 10